Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 616, Tua, Tucci, and Tenha. Hello, Big Chillians, and welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, things are going well. I guess the question is better asked to you, seeing as you are in unfamiliar surroundings or familiar surroundings, I guess, but unfamiliar from a podcast recording perspective yeah, and maybe well. not in the most comfortable position for this podcast recording. <laughs> I'm recording remotely hunched over my parents' bedroom with a with a chair at the edge of the bed trying to find nice. the best possible place to record. Yeah, there we go. Well, it's, it should should still go well. Yeah, well, it'll probably go better than uh, my zero and two Chargers. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that right out in front and let you just take it away and get it out of the way. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed in the Chargers again, and yeah, I think there's, I, I you know, preseason came into it and said this is a just kind of feels like a prove it moment for for Justin Herbert and. I feel like Justin Herbert defenders give him all the excuses of, oh, the defense isn't that good. Oh, you know, like they get let down by the play calling. Oh, you know, well, I mean, they scored enough points to win the game, didn't they? And time after time, I'm not sure that they do. I I think a lot of good quarterbacks would be winning every game that he's not winning. And part of me, as that game dragged on and as they then fell behind late at when he got that when they had this sort of first and goal or first down from whatever it was the 11 yard line uh down three and it looked likely from that position you should be i don't know what the percentage win prediction is but they were probably like 75 80 percent favorites at that point maybe even higher first first and down from the 11 yard line and Part of me was thought, oh, here we go. Frank's going to get to claim yet again, another Justin Herbert fourth quarter comeback. And part of it feels as if it's almost like he's trying to have fourth quarter comebacks because he could be putting games away with better quality play at quarterback. And instead, his incompetency is allowing teams to hang around and exposing the rest of the weaknesses that the Chargers have. I mean, listen, they put up 24 points. That's enough points to win the game. You can't, is do, it? you can't do everything is with it? coaching, Eddie. Sometimes it's, the coaching is bad. Listen, listen. If their defense just played better, they should be winning these games. No, but in, in all seriousness, I mean, I, I still don't – like, it's tough, right, to put it on a guy who now hasn't still turned the ball over in two games, another 300-yard performance with multiple touchdowns. And, can can and, I – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you some credit. I do agree that last drive when they came down the field, they were moving the ball and he in particular was moving the ball so well that I, maybe I'm partly to blame because I started going on my phone and seeing if I could find nice pictures of like him pointing to see if I could say like a, like a suck it Eddie moment and, and make it way too early. Once they got down to like the goal line, like it was like the 12 yard line or whatever they were at. I thought they were for sure there was no way they were stopping them. I mean, they were just five yards at a clip every play. And then he had one bad throw. The other two, you know, whatever they were, maybe he didn't make a great read. But He, he got sacked on the, th- on the third down. Yeah, 
which which his o-line does seem to let him down in big situations as well so that's kind of tough um but yeah i think they should have won he should have won that game that one is definitely partly on him i don't think you can say in any way that he's like a bad quarterback or not a winner when he did down points drive them all the way down the field but there is a little bit of a difference between being not a game manager but like someone who isn't going to lose you the game and someone like Daniel Jones who's going to go out there and put it on the line and win it for you. You know, and I think that is a little bit of a difference and maybe we're seeing it. And maybe it's partly because he played in Oregon when they weren't that great in those years. They were like always like a 2-3-4 loss team, so maybe you never got to see him really on the line to see if he had that type of, you know, composure. So may- maybe that is a knock on him. I don't know. I I think it's still a little too early to give him that discredit and i think it's a little unfair when yes you're right you have to put enough of points to win the game but they've now put up 24 and 32 and are losing games and that's tough when you look at jalen hurts what has he done this year i mean they barely they barely won their what thursday night game and they're not putting up a ton of points you know like i mean it's tough it's it's not all on him it's not all on him, but I think th- I think I'm flipping. I think everyone is just penciling Justin Herbert into the Hall of Fame, trying to put him in the conversation for the best quarterback in the league. I'm not trying to discredit him and call him terrible. I'm just trying to say I think people are getting way ahead of themselves on you included on how much he gets praised for being this wow generational talent at quarterback, and I don't see it. And you can say not turning the ball out. To me, when you get sacked on third down, that's basically a turnover a lot of the time. And he got well, sacked on third down. It depends on the context, the of course. <laughs> well, a lot of times he is. But, you know, like, and he's not getting sacked. He's not getting little sacks. He's getting like nine yards. Even, even the sack he had, it was kind of concerning because, yes, they were in within pretty much chip shot field goal range. But he, he took a nine-yard sack on that third down, which if you were the kicker, you would have said like, "Thanks, Justin. Thanks for just adding, you know, a, a full down onto this uh, field goal attempt that I'm about to have." But that's all I'm. And yes, it's tw- a week ago. Did they score enough points to win the game on offense? Yeah, I'll take that. Twenty four points. I won't take it. Twenty four points loses a lot of games in the NFL. Even this weekend, twenty four points would have only would have lost them. They would have lost to the Broncos, who lost their game. They would have lost to the Cardinals, who lost their game. They would have beaten the Rams by one point, who lost their game. They would have lost to the Texans, who lost their game. The Lions, who lost their game. They would have tied with the Packers, who lost their game. They would have tied with the Bengals, who lost their game. You know, like 24 points is not exactly, well, what can we do? We scored so many, and we still lost. But you you mentioned Daniel Jones. I think there's a difference. To me, Justin Herbert is undoubtedly a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. I test wise, I'd, but I think he, Daniel Jones might have something in ten, that game against the Cardinals. Part of me feels like the Cardinals kind of didn't want to win almost, but um, the he got better as that game wore on and became sort of he has certain intangible elements that he was able to call on as the game got close to get them what they needed to win. And that to me, I would rather have that almost every time 
then Justin Herbert, incredible throw in the first quarter, but game gets tight in the fourth quarter, and I'm kind of looking around to try and figure out where he is. Yeah, and you know, maybe that's part of like being in New York and the pressure where, you know, Justin Herbert, what is he really hearing today and tomorrow and the rest of this week from like the LA Chargers fan base and media? Do you think oh, anyone is giving him crap? <laughs> No, because everyone's telling him, no, Justin, you're so special. It's not your fault. It's everybody else's fault. But I think but I think if he's in New York, you know, that's one of those things where like, and he's in a city oh, that yeah, cares. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, I think if he's in a city that cares, I think it's a much louder thing. You know, it's, it's a much louder uh, argument against him. And I think people are getting on him. And maybe he would react better or maybe it would just make him completely fold. Who knows? But what I'm trying oh, to say is, is Daniel Jones, I think... I think Daniel Jones, obviously, and probably unrightfully so, hears a lot of that pressure about how they're not winning games and it's on him. And, you know, actually, when you look back at his career, he hasn't played terrible. He hasn't had much around him, you know, and I've always been kind of a supporter. I'm, I, I'm with you. I'm not saying he's the greatest quarterback in the world, but he's done pretty well with what he's been given so far in his Giants career. And, you know, he still gets that criticism. And I think he responds well to it. You know, I think maybe, you know, like, halfway through that game, you know, he thought, and he was probably already hearing it for the Giants fans that were probably in Arizona because there was probably just as many as there were Cardinals fans there. And, you know, he stepped up and, and took it on himself and put it on his shoulders and and kind of won them the game. I mean, you can say Barkley had a great game that second half, and he did, but a lot of it was opened up because Daniel Jones was hitting some deep throws, hitting some intermediate throws, running the ball on his own. So when you also have him to worry about, it opens it up more for Barkley. And what, like when they can do that, that's what made me excited on seeing their team. When you have two good running backs there in Jones and Barkley, and then you have the speed with Jalen Hyatt who can go deep, it does open up that offense. And and Waller in the intermediate, you know, to hit those eight, 10 yard tight end passes. Like that was the good part of the Giants that you could see. But to have it wait six quarters and to only happen so far against the Cardinals is not super encouraging right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, here to kind of wrap up the Jones versus Herbert debate, if you told me right now, you know, gay team playing for my life, would I rather have, and I'm down, you know, the team that I need to win is down six, two minutes to go, ball starting on their own 30. I want Daniel Jones over Justin Herbert at quarterback. That's my honest assessment. I'm not not trying to go that far. That's not that's my that's not me being intentionally provocative or kind of hot takey. That's like a genuine genuine assessment. I you know the the Giants come back. I do f- sort of feel like the Cardinals. It almost felt like they went in in halftime and decided, hey guys, we're not supposed to be winning any games this year. We want a really good quarterback pick next year. They did they have that slight feeling to it as, but still to come back from that kind of deficit is impressive against anyone. I mean, like just putting together enough scoring drives in the, you know, third and fourth quarter to, to get enough points is tough. One big talking point that came out of, out of it for me when they closed it to 20 to 28. Okay. And they were going to go for two on that, which the announcer said the. Oh, we're going to do this now. (laughs) We do this every year. (laughs) The sheet says to go for two at that moment, that that's, I don't, 
And they got in the end, they got bailed. I think they got bailed out because I had the feeling they were not going to get the two point conversion. Yeah. And then that was going to put them into a much more complicated, it was going to put them into a, now we have to go for two next time. And instead they had a full start. It pushed them back. They just kicked the extra point. They made it a seven point game, tied the game on their next drive. I don't understand what the mathematics is telling these people that it's like the smart move is to go for two to reduce it to a six point deficit over reducing it to a seven point deficit. I genuinely, I'm all for the sort of sabermetrics of sport. I don't really get it. Yeah, I I go back and forth on that one. This is different. So originally what I thought you were arguing, I wasn't thinking right, was if you're down 15 and whether you go for for two on the the first first time time or the second time. And I always understand people are like, no, just save it to the end. Like, no, that doesn't make sense because then if you miss it, you've completely changed your plan. Like, it's better to go into something knowing exactly what you need to do than to wait to the last second and hope you get it. So that one is the one yeah. that always annoys me, and I don't get what people say that. Yours, I, 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 I love, I love the analytics of, of football, and I see why they say it. I still don't agree with it because I'm with you. I think especially when you consider if you're down that many points. So at that point, you would have to have been down 14 and you're scoring and then hoping to score again. I think at that point, even though we discuss it, you have momentum. And I'd rather be tied with momentum and being able to win it than to risk having to make, at the worst case, two two-point conversions to still be in the game, which to me isn't inconceivable that you don't get either of those when let's say maybe the first one you get stopped and maybe the second one you get a false start and now you're fucked because now it's a seven yard touchdown you need you know like i don't understand why you want to risk yes you can win the game and you can win the game by only needing one two-point conversion to go well but it has to be the first one because if it's not then you really put yourself in hole because then you need the second one and that's a scary option to need the second when you didn't need it in the first place so I, I yeah, agree with you. I, I understand probably the metrics slightly favor that. It's probably, it's probably minimal. I'd say it's probably like 53 to 55% better chance, you know, but I, I don't think it's worth the risk. And when you look at if you score two touchdowns in a row, you're going to you're gonna have all the momentum going into probably overtime or whatever. Yeah. I mean, so, so there was 851 left. I'm trying to understand... So there's a, a sizable chunk of the fourth quarter left. Like, you know, you're definitely getting the ball back. So you can either cut the ball, cut the lead to seven, the deficit to seven, or cut the deficit to six. And, or worst case scenario, the deficit remains eight. And I get it. So you cut it to six. You've now put yourself in a winning drive situation if you stop them. Yeah. Or maybe clear, two like field ease. goals, right? Or you open up the possibility of two field goals. But the reality of with 851 left, that there's going to be four possessions and they're not going to score on any of them. All of the Giants did that. They scored a touchdown and a field goal, right? <laughs> they scored the field goal to win the game at the end. Yeah. So they, so they did get the ball back twice. They got the ball back twice, but it just doesn't, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like speaking about the momentum element, I feel like you could go from giving the other team that, uh Oh, they're only down seven now. They're like, this is one score to all of a sudden, if they get the stop on the two-point conversion, almost feeling like we've kind of kept this. This is like a one-and-a-half uh, possession game now. Like, we've kind of kept it at almost two possessions. Whereas, 
you have the chance to just very clearly be like, no, no, no. If you get stopped next time out, we are going to drive down the field, score a touchdown and tie the game. I don't, I don't totally, I felt like they got, but I took a picture of it when they were doing it. And I was like, this is where the giants are going to fuck the game up. And then the false start happened. And I thought that I think they got bailed out there. Now, admittedly, the Cardinals did absolutely nothing on their two ensuing possessions. So that, you know, meant that it might not have even mattered anyway, had they failed. But still, it just it felt like coaches getting too smart for themselves, even when the analytics technically tell you that's what you're supposed to do. So I guess we spoke about the Chargers, who are now 0-2, and the Giants saved the dreaded 0-2. Let's stick with the 0-2 theme here, Eddie. And I'm going to go through all of the teams that are currently 0-2. Now, the big caveat to this that's getting really annoying is the whole, like, you'll see since 1991, only X amount of teams have started 0-2. But so many things have changed. I mean, one, you have an extra game now. That is enormous. <laughs> Two, you now have more teams in, in the playoffs. So, you know, infamously, the Bengals did it what last year right and that's yes. in the new format they were 0-2 and they've made it so the the statistics have obviously changed but still it's not good to start 0-2 and I also don't think the other thing that really bothers me they don't take into context of who you're playing like I hate this whole like what teams start and how they finish and no one ever says like yeah but you know what their schedule at the beginning was really hard or really like that gets annoying but regardless let's go through the 0-2 teams and then I want you to pick maybe two that you think have a legitimate chance to still make it and two that you can just write them off now and let's let's start them in the Caleb Williams uh, draft pool here. Okay, so you've got New England Patriots 0-2, Cincinnati Bengals. Do you want me to... I'll, I'll go through them all, okay. then we can talk. There's not all super, right. super, super many. Uh, Patriots 0-2, Bengals 0-2, Texans 0-2. Both the Broncos and the Chargers 0-2 in the AFC West. Both the Vikings and the Bears 0-2 in the NFC North. The Panthers 0-2 in the NFC South. And the Cardinals 0-2 in the NFC West. So who, who, who are we writing off? Who are done? I, well, I think it's easier to tell for me to tell you who I'm not writing off because I, I think that's the oh. shorter part of the list. Okay. So I, I'm not writing off the Bengals. I'm not writing off the Chargers. I'm not writing off the Vikings. And I'm not I'm I'm not quite yet writing off the Patriots, but I'm close to writing off the Patriots. But I I think I've seen enough from the Patriots. I think the Patriots, in a sense, are the team. They are who I who we thought they were. They their defense is pretty good. Offensively, they're just not quite good enough. But they're I think they'll beat bad teams because their defense is just going to smother bad teams. They have had a tough start to the season from a scheduling perspective. Like the, going back to your point, it's not as if they've kicked the season off against you know the Texans and the Colts and lost both games. Like they've played undoubtedly two of the best teams in the league and lost both of them in relative in one score games. So it seems harsh to then say like, well, they're done. There's like no no conceivable way they could string together nine wins from the remainder of the season. So. And they've also been helped by, obviously, Aaron Rodgers. I think if Aaron Rodgers were healthy, I'd almost now say they were done because I think that division would just get so tough. But I still think, they, I mean, they play the Jets this weekend. I think that's a win for them. I think they kind of kind of moved up in the divisional standings, in a sense, as a result of that injury. Um, yeah, the Vikings, more because of division. 
I'm not really willing to write off just because I don't think it will take that many wins in that division to actually win it. And, you know, that was a bad loss for the Packers this week, given the context, like the position they were in in that game. And that felt like that's one we could look back on at the end of the season and think that's where you almost not let the division slip. That's too dramatic two games in, but they had a real, they had an opportunity to put themselves in a, in a really nice position in that division and they let it, and they let it slip by. Um, and aside from that, I think I would write off all of the O and two teams. I think the Broncos are, I don't know what to do with the Broncos. Like I just don't, at this point, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do with Russell Wilson. Like yeah. I, at, at, you know, three quarters of the way through that game was like, okay, here we go. The offense just started to look good. And you know, the, the, shaky start to the season, but they look like they are going to be a sort of middle of the road NFL team. They're going to be maybe fun to watch at times and beat some, beat some bad teams. I didn't even realize until about an hour later that they were successful on that Hail Mary because it got to the end of that game and all the other games had, <laughs> and I stopped paying attention. I saw that they had, it was coming down to one final Hail Mary and I didn't even look. And then I just knew that they'd lost because it didn't go to overtime. And I, I had assumed that the Hail Mary had been just an incomplete pass and then saw the luck that Russell Wilson got in actually getting that Hail Mary touchdown and then still failed on the two-pointer. But yeah, and a couple of those teams, I'm going to say the Bengals, they're close to the drop zone on writing them off just because of that division. Part of me, yeah. I, I'd almost put them in the Patriots, the position of like nearly written off, but then the Chubb injury last night, I think is a big win for everyone else in that division because I think it takes the Browns out of contention. Yeah. And we, so, we can get to that game later, but <laughs> yeah, but I think like, I literally think the Bengals would have been close to a write-off at that moment for me. And now it's like, okay, I think there's an easy path to them. Like I now put them, I now think they'll beat the Browns next time around and I can see them, you know, finishing second in that division with a pretty good record. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I think the four teams that potentially you could think maybe have a shot are the Pats, Bengals, Chargers, and maybe the Vikings. I lean towards maybe only the. I think the Pats are done. I, I I'm a lot worse on them than you are, but I don't think their offense is that great. Their defense is pretty good, but the issue is is that their schedule is is pretty bad. I mean, they they have a shitty draw when it comes to non uh division teams i mean so all right let's do let's do let's do it we'll go one by one you're the negative guy on this one so we'll go all right patriots patriots at jets yeah patriots at jets the patriots should win that but i mean the thing with the jets is zach wilson could be the worst quarterback we've seen since drew Locke. but their their defense is just like their defense could legitimately win them games (laughs) like there was a point against the cowboys patriots though so with with the Cowboys, right? They there was a point where I think they he missed a pick six. Uh, I think it was Sauce Gardner missed a pick six. They would have went up into halftime, but instead they end up scoring and went down like eighteen ten. Like their defense is is seriously seriously good. But you're right, Mac Cowboys Jones still is, scored. Cowboys still scored thirty points. Let's not let's not like. I mean, they had four turnovers. The Jets. I mean, like when you think of it that way, it's it's not that bad. Thirty off of four turnovers. It's terrible. <laughs> no, I, it's fine. It's fine, but I do think I, I feel the same way about the Cowboys Jets game as I feel about the Niners Rams game, which is 
Yeah, that was a little. There was a little bit of the game where the other team seemed pretty feisty. The Rams kept that going for a little longer than the Jets did, but ultimately the sort of quality came through in both of them, and you saw the difference between the two teams. And it felt like yeah. if they had been must-win games, then they would have been bigger, sort of more comfortable wins. But it's like, okay, maybe we slightly underestimated you, and we had to pull out more of the stops as the game wore on than we thought we were going to. But deep down, we were never too worried. I'll tell you what, I, I'll i give them, I was thinking maybe they split against the Jets, but let's just say they get both against the Jets. So, okay, win there. Then they play the Cowboys. That's a loss. They yeah. play, so they play the Saints. One three. I, I think the I Saints think that's are a, a loss. I think it's a win. So I have them two and three, you have them one and four. Okay. Raiders. Then they play the Ra- I'll give them the win on that. I, I don't. I don't understand. I, I don't understand the Raiders right now. Like I watch them and I don't get them. I just legitimately don't understand what's going on there. So yeah, I'd give them the win. So I've got them three and three at that point, and you have them two and four. Yeah, you have right? three wins. I have two. Yep. Bills loss. Dolphins yep. loss. Commanders two and zero. Oh, surprisingly, and we can get to the two and zero oh teams later. But I think I think the Commanders suck. So you'll say four wins. I say three wins. Yep. Colts win. Okay. You say five. I say four giants. I think eventually like between the commanders, Colts and the giants, one of them, they're going to lose. So I say the giants beat them. I'll say, yeah, if I'm giving coin flip games their way, this will be the one coin flip game. I'll give them as a loss. So we're still five and four, right? Yeah. Okay. Chargers. That's a loss. Blowout. Blowout. (laughs) Justin Herbert. (laughs) 19 interceptions for Justin Herbert. (laughs) So you say six, uh, I say four. Steelers, I'll give. I will say, I do, think, I do think they lose to the Chargers. Okay. but I don't think I don't think you're going to be you're going to make it out that that's like an absolute guaranteed loss, and I I will not agree with that. No, I don't think it is. Like I that. don't think it's an absolute. Uh, no, because if one thing the Patriots are good at, it's it's getting pressure to the quarterback, and we know that Herbert isn't good isn't good at reacting to that. We've seen that a few weeks now. So yeah, so we're still both at five and four, right? Yes. Okay. Steelers, I'll give them the win there. Yeah. So six and five. five. Chiefs, loss. Broncos, win. Win. So that's what? Seven, seven, six. Seven, six. Bills, loss. Seven and six. Jets, last game of the season. Even if they win, that's eight for you and seven for me. So they're finishing under 500. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I I think that's just, just too tough of a schedule for them now. I mean, there's still te- there's games out of there that we've given them as losses that are winnable, and of course, there's games out of there that we've put them down for wins they could lose. I don't agree with like Colts. There's no way they lose to the Colts. There's just no way. Yeah. Uh, you're like putting that in the like Colts and Commanders to me. I will be stunned if the Patriots lose either of those games. Well, I think Colts, sure, Commanders, Gi- Giants. That out of that three stretch, that's like one of them is like, uh oh, they've lost. <laughs> well, no, it's the Giants. That's it. It's like Commanders Colts. They'll win. They'll go into the Giants. The Giants are a decent team. To me, they are pretty. They're probably evenly matched with different strengths, but over yeah. the sort of fairly evenly matched. So, you know, they'll be slight underdogs for that Giants game. Put it that way. Yeah, for sure. Whereas the Bengals, they play the Rams, the Titans, the Cardinals. In the next three, so they can conceivably be three and two after you know 
after should, this. They should be, yes. And then they go into Seahawks, Niners, Bills. You win one of those, you've got four. <laughs> but then, yeah. you know, then then Texans, Ravens, Steelers. You you should win two out of those three. You know, and then Jags, Colts. Why should they win? Why should wait? Hold on a second. Why should they definitely win? We just saw the Ravens beat them. Why should they definitely beat two out of the three of the, te- the Texans? Sure, that's a win. The Steelers. Why? Are why are they? I mean, they're not good, but I'm not sure. That, I don't know. I'm like, I'm not sure how good I'm going to make the Bengals at this point. Admittedly, it's tough. The, the thing that's saving the Bengals of this of more criticism is the fact that you know they start the season slowly at the moment all the time. They're one and seven in in the opening two games over yeah. the last four seasons. So it's kind of, we're like penciling in the idea that they definitely bounce back. Well, I think, which, I, I mean, I think the other thing you have to factor in though, is that they've been a good team the last two years as well. Like regardless of what their start has been, they're still a good team that still has most of those bones from, from those last two years. You know, it's not like all of a sudden their offense lost Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardman and, and all these players. Like, their offense is still exactly the same for the most part. You know, if anything, they've tried to strengthen the O-line, so they should be slightly better in their offense, and their defense is still average. So for me, it's one of those things that this is a team that we know has been to multiple playoffs and gone deep in the playoffs, right. so I give them a but little Joe, more credit. But Joe Burrow is also carrying an injury. He's not guaranteed to play against the Rams at the moment with his injury status. For example, do you think the Rams can – if they if they don't have Joe Burrow – Who's favorites for that game? From what we've seen and from the Rams so far, oh, I think the Rams. Who I don't even know who the, so, who's the backup for the Bengals. I don't know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's you know, like I think almost any time a starting QB's out. But yeah, no, you're right, and maybe that's the issue. Maybe this injury to Burrow is a lot worse than than what we think. I mean, that could be. He hasn't looked phenomenal. The team, though, that I think can turn it around. Oh, I, 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 I found out the name of the Bengals oh. quarterback, and I still don't know who it is. Who is it? Jake Jake Browning. Oh, Jake Browning. I think he's from Washington. Is that him? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I'm. he's not a name I'm familiar with. He He's a rookie. Or he has one year. No, yeah, he's a rookie. From where? He was on the practice. He was on the practice squad. He was at the University of Washington. Oh, it is that. It is Browning. Okay. Yeah. The name sounded familiar. So he's been in the NFL for a while, but mostly on practice squads, basically. Okay. With 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 the Vikings and now with the Browns, uh, with the Bengals. Sorry. He's only had the only time he's so far he's had one uh, snap in the NFL. That's all he needs. Put him in. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I, I think that's the team still who at zero and two saw the best shot to make the playoffs, and that's the Vikings. Because one, I don't, I still am not sold on the division. The Lions, yes, they're a good team. Are they a great team? I don't think so. The Packers. Look a little better than people expected, but I still think you know they're they're starting Jordan Love. They don't they don't look that phenomenal. And then the Bears are a dumpster fire. Um, well, this is this is a tough one though for you 
Because in a sense, I don't disagree with you, but something's got to give on one of the 0-2 teams because this week it's Chargers-Vikings. <laughs> That's true. I don't know if 0-3, I think, is tough to come back from. Yeah. So we're, we're going to have to rule one of them out this time next week. <laughs> well, I hope it's not the Chargers. <laughs> but but I think, you know, I do think the Vikings have a better shot. Um, because, yeah, that Packers game, that was a game to me. I don't know how the Packers lost that game. That was a weird yeah. one. You know, they looked like the better team for most of the game. And it, it was weird. It was, a, it was a weird game. There were a couple of games this week that came down to plays that should have really should have been stopped. And, you know, it's something we've spoken about in the past, these sort of single plays. And it's, I think, sometimes tough to boil down an NFL game or any sport to this individual, this sort of one play that changed it, unless it's really completely at the end. But in the Packers-Falcons game, that was their inability to uh, stop them on the fourth and four that that closed the game to 24-19, I think it was. We're talking about the one where and Arthur Smith like put the play call in, but then like was shocked that the play was called. Yes. <laughs> I still don't understand what that was. Was he shocked at what the call was, like what the play they had called was, or was he shocked that... He has the head coach approved to go for it. <laughs> what did I just do? <laughs> like, I don't understand. I, but I love how terrible his mustache is. It makes me so happy how ugly that mustache is. But that that one was bad. Does not stop Ritter. Like, they kind of had him dead to rights on that play to a certain degree and, like, not stopping him. That was the game. Wait, that's because it's not they, the one then because I'm thinking of the one where they pitched to Bijan Robinson. No, no, this was the, t- the Ritter the scramble. Okay. Yeah, it was fourth and four from the Green Bay six, and they really should have just stopped him. And instead, it was 24-19 all of a sudden, whereas it should have been 24-12 with them getting the ball back, which in the fourth quarter you would have said, actually, I don't know if you need to actually do anything more to win this game. Like, that's over. Even just run the ball a little and punt, and you're safe. That one. And then I guess maybe to bring up the Browns-Steelers game, last night now i know that there are a lot of plays in that that had a huge influence on that game but to me the one where it really felt like um sort of momentum shifted in a sense because that steelers offense was doing absolutely nothing and giving up just before the long touchdown pass that sort of is the only positive, really positive play that the Steelers managed to put together. You had a situation where they should have stopped. It was a third and long. It was like third and 16. And they had an opportunity to make the tackle sort of six yards before and force a punt. And they just allowed, like through poor tackling, the Steelers to to sneak that first down. And then the subsequent play was the 71-yard touchdown. And you just kind of look back on those moments and think to yourself, they should have been punting. Like you had four players attempting to make a tackle five, six yards short of the down marker. And instead, instead of having the ball back, you now have given up seven points in the blink of an eye. And it's those little moments in a game where neither team was really moving the ball that well on offense that it felt like, oh, this might not. There was a lot of reasons why it felt like that was not going to go the Browns way. But that one in particular felt like a big moment. Yeah. I, that game. That game to me showed me two things for the Browns. 
like I mean, you look at the stats and, and you say like, how do they not win this? I think they had over double first downs, almost over double yards, but then they had, I think, ninety yards in penalties and then four turnovers. And the Steelers had fourteen points off those turnovers. Like the Steelers are not a good team. And the other thing that bothers me is, oh well, their defense is so good because they had those turnovers. The the sack one. Okay, maybe. I don't think you should be fumbling off the sack. The interception one was a bullshit, lucky-ass interception where it went off the receiver's yeah. hands, then off a defender's face, and then caught it for a pick six. So it's not as if this defense is this like stifling defense. They let up 400 yards of offense. What bothered me is two things. One, I'm not sold on Stefanski as, as the coach. Chubb went down, but... They were just running the ball down their throat. And yes, Chubb is good, but he had some massive holes. And then when he went down, they like stopped running the ball and were trying to do these weird throws and it just wasn't working. Like just continue to do what was working. I, I get Chubb's hurt, but the other running back still had a good game. Like, and he didn't give him the ball till like halfway through the fourth quarter. We had like that, what, 60 yard run or whatever. You know, like I don't understand what, what they were thinking halfway through that game. Like the middle of the game to me, I don't get what the hell they were doing in the second and third quarter. And the other thing is, I don't know about Deshaun Watson anymore. I mean, he missed a lot of easy throws and a lot of just like seven yard curl routes. He was like hitting them on the wrong side. And he was, he was weird in the, in the backfield kind of running around. He wasn't as good as he normally, like, ah, you know, I used to like him as a quarterback shit happened and and you know whether you like him as a person or not but as a player i, <laughs> I always thought he was a great player i don't think yeah. he's a great player anymore yeah I, I have to agree with you i was kind of high on the browns coming into the season obviously and especially then after week one i felt even more confident in that and then yeah he just looked lost there were so many times when he and again people are going to give the steelers credit for getting like getting pressure but he created the pressure himself. Yeah, yeah. He would just hang around in the backfield forever. He would run backwards for seven yards when it could have just, just throw the ball away. Like you're fine. He had two face mask penalties. I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback <laughs> commit two face mask penalties in the same game. I would be impressed to know if another quarterback will commit two face mask penalties this season, like over the course of the entire season, let alone in the space of about nine minutes. Like that is unbelievable. And both of them were pretty costly in terms of the position they didn't put the team into. And yeah, I mean, I agree with you. First, the pick six off the opening play of the game, more luck than skill from the Steelers' perspective. Okay, the pass rush is good to force the fumble, but also it was as if Deshaun Watson had no sense of the pressure that was about to come. He was just holding the ball in one hand as a player's coming off his blind side, which he should have been aware of. He could have either tried to step up more into the pocket to try and get away, or at least just prepare himself in the, they were up three at that point, and it was. It felt as if, if they made no mistakes, they were going to win. If they just kept punting to the Steelers and putting, you know, like, I you couldn't see the Steelers scoring an offensive touchdown. So, in the very least, you thought, just punt, and it's going to be a tied game. It took a seventy-yard lucky slant for them to score. <laughs> yes, and instead, all of a sudden, you're down four, and you're not exactly a team that's that's sort of putting great drives together either. I do agree with you too. They kind of abandoned the run game a little bit after they, I mean, they started off the half with not abandoning the run game when Ford had that pretty crazy run to get all the way down to the one yard line. And then they sort of stopped running the ball after that. (laughs) That was like the end of it. And it didn't, part of me felt as if it was Stefanski saying to Deshaun Watson, 
here's your chance. Like, because the reason why we've been running the ball so much is because we have the best running back in the league. This is really Nick Chubb's team. And now that Nick Chubb is out, if I now give this nobody the same opportunity that I give Nick Chubb, then you're going to turn around to me and say, what's going on here? Like I'm a, I think I'm an elite quarterback and now we're just, we're just a run first team. Like this is never going to change. I could accept it when I had this kind of superstar running back, but now this is just what we do. And that cost them because I do think if they just run the ball, they certainly would have kicked a couple more field goals, you know, and they would have had fewer turnovers and they just, you know, and unlucky turnovers, even the, you know, the, uh, Njoku turnover, the fumble, it's okay. It's a nice play, but it's still like a player getting hit an inch before he hits the ground. You know, like it's little, all, everything went right for the Steelers in that game everything. pretty much. And they, Every, and, and they still barely it couldn't won. have happened to a worse team. It just drives me insane. Like, and you know, I think I saw at the stat, the Steelers haven't lost Monday night at home now in 15 years or no, tw- sorry, yeah. 21 straight home wins on Monday night football and another one they yeah. shouldn't have fucking won. But you know, but yeah, I, the thing with Watson too, I agree with you is when he was on the Texans, he was so good with that. Like, I know you're going to hate this. Like he had like that Patrick Mahomes, like, like elusive ability where he'd be in the pocket and you think everything was done for. And next thing you know, he kind of like pops out and hits a 30 yard throw to a wide open guy. And this game, it was like the opposite. He would be there and would like run, run in a way to like get closer to the defender. I was like, what yeah. are you doing? You know, like the yeah, defender's yeah. seven yards away. Why are you running right at him? Are you going to try to play chicken? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> No, and he had um, even opportunities where he would escape the initial pressure, and he'd be like, okay, throw it away. And he'd be like, no, 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 I'm not going to throw it away. I'm going to now run towards this other, like, I'm not trying to gain yards. Like, it was as if he was trying to buy more time on a broken play, where it was obvious there was going to be no positive outcome from it, but he was still just going to be messing around. And so he would sort of be like, oh, could have been a two-yard loss. Okay, he's escaped pressure. He can just throw it out and, you know, live to have another down and then he'd find more pressure for himself like well now you have an eight yard loss like what have you like this is you're making the Steelers defense look better through dumb decision making but yeah it was and look even if you wanted to be super critical of the other things the Steelers got I do think on that final play that was pass interference as well on the final play of the game and so they got to get bailed out they got bailed out on (laughs) and I get it final play of the game you're, you're going to get that less frequently than you do. But if that's the first no. quarter, if that's like second and I know, I know you, you don't agree with, I'm not saying I agree with that fact. No, I know. I know you don't, but I hate that. I hate when people say like, you know, like it's tough to make that call at the end of the game. Like, no, you should not be factoring in the part of the game as an official. Your job as an official is to look at every right. play with a blind eye as just that play. And it makes me so fucking pissed when they like won't make calls because it's a, a big play or a big down. That's not how officiating works. <laughs> no, I, I agree with I a hundred percent agree with you. But the reality is, I think that gets called if that's second down in the second quarter. I think that's in that flag gets tossed. Whereas because it is fourth down, game on the line, um, you know, I think that changes the even though it wasn't as if it was a game, I mean, yeah, it extends the drive. It's not as if it would have 
even guaranteed that the Browns win. Like in a sense, I think it's a kind of easy flag to throw because it would have put them what on in field goal range in a scenario when they need four points anyway. So it's not like a huge shift. Uh, but yeah, it was from the Steelers. I come out of that game feeling worse about the Steelers than I did going into it <laughs> and way worse about the Browns than I did going into it. Yeah, I, I, I'm scared for the Browns. I, it could be rough. So let, let me, let's flip it now. Let's go to some good performing teams so far. First one I want to talk about is the Miami Dolphins. Do you think the Miami Dolphins are Super Bowl favorites? No. I mean, they were good against, and their offense looked really good against the Dolphins. I had the Dolphins against the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> against themselves in practice they look great i thought their but, defense looked pretty good though too that's what yeah. which i don't know at some point we, it, it's are you gonna pray are, yeah are you, are, are you gonna tell me the patriots have an awful offense but the dolphins defense looked pretty good even though the the patriots scored 17 points yeah or are you gonna tell me that the defense is the dolphins defense is really good the thing that concerned me slightly about that game the dolphins should have won that by about 21 points and the fact that they didn't and that they they weren't that far away from even being in overtime. I mean, you know, like you're an inch away from the fourth down conversion. And part of me feels like if the Patriots get that fourth down conversion, they're going to score the, the game tying touchdown and maybe even go for two. But that doesn't feel like a Belichick move personally. I know they were speculating about it during the game. Belichick seems to me like a take it to overtime kind of guy. Trust my defense, you know, but I am slightly concerned by the fact that they had a game that they should have won super easily and allowed a team to hang around. And for a team that we haven't seen them do it yet, that's always a worry for me. Because then you do think if you get to the playoffs and you do that same thing, you're going to lose a playoff game that you shouldn't have lost. And plus the other factor is I don't believe that Tua is going to be healthy for the full season. So making them Super Bowl favorites is too strong. Yeah, I I think it's – I think – I don't know how many weeks we're gonna have to go into to that's gone, but I the sad part is I don't think you can go into any week without that worry being gone because he's had so many, you know, injury problems. For me, what I really liked about the Dolphins was we talked in our preview last week, and I'm sure all of America talked about what Belichick is really good at doing is shutting down your best weapon. He's gonna shut it down. And they did a decent part shutting down Hill. He still had a touchdown. I think he, you know, was only targeted like five or six times though, had like 50 yards or whatever. But the Dolphins, I think, kind of knew that was coming and were able to change their game plan and still score 24 points, which isn't a decent like a decent amount of points, and go in other directions and still look really good. Like they put their run game up and they ran the ball really well. Waddle stepped up, had a good game. And I think if if Tua can stay healthy, there's just so many weapons on that offense that they're ne- you're, it'll be nearly impossible to hold them to like 20, 24 points. I, I, get, I get the Patriots did it, but I think they should have scored a little more. I, I think they kind of lost, lost the, the plot in that game a little bit. They, they, looked, they looked better than that score was. I think they had like 450 yards. You know, like they just weren't scoring very well. But I, I, I think their offense is, is severely stacked. It's a good offense. I still think, you know, that the Patriots defense is good. They held them to 24 points. I think other teams will, like, you know, do I think the Niners could hold them to 24 points? Absolutely. 
They came in with the fucking Rams. (laughs) Hey, the Rams only scored 23, so. (laughs) Let me me give you this scenario. Super Bowl, down six, 2.30 left. You got the ball on like your 20, you know, like kickoff for 25, whatever. Last drive of the Super Bowl. Do you want the Chiefs and Mahomes or do you want the Dolphins and Tua? Oh, Chiefs still. Wow. See, I've been there, done that. Yeah, yeah. I still trust. The thing that worries me sometimes about the Dolphins big play element, sometimes like in close games down the stretch, that can worry me a little bit because all of a sudden you can have a couple of those not come off and suddenly it's third and 10 and then the pressure really starts to get felt. Whereas what the Chiefs always do really well in those close situations is they immediately make it more manageable downs. And so, you know, it will be, okay, suddenly we're second and four, all incompletion, first down next time around. And they'll chip their way down the field, even if they have some big plays as part of that, or they're less so in their current configuration. But yeah, I would trust the team that I've seen go through that exact scenario, what, 15 times in meaningful games, you know, versus Tua. Yeah, things look great week two right now. We've not seen him play in the playoff game. We've not seen Mike McDaniel's coach in a playoff game. You know, so let's, I I will withhold judgment until, I, I need to even see them do, go through that exact scenario you described, even in a regular season game against a very good team, against a legitimate defense. If they, if they pass that even against the Patriots, then I might feel a little bit more, more convinced, but you know, I just, you know, I think a good defense is going to do as 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 many weapons as they have. I think a good defense will be able to take Tyreek Hill a little bit out of the game, which I think even the Patriots kind of managed. No, they, they did sort of did. make. They definitely took him out a little bit. And already, that's it's the X factor from the Dolphins' uh, offense kind of being removed. So, Super Bowl favorites, no. Divisional favorites. Yes. AFC favorites. Mm, No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. All right. But they might be by the time we make it to the playoffs. Let me throw out another one for you. Did we just not realize that Baker Mayfield is a double rising yeast and he just needed a second chance to get to, to get that rise up to the top is he for real no no i mean like it's a nice little start to the season i think beating the vikings week one it's the vikings though we know they have weird losses in them all the time and bad performances beating the bears the bears are i think the cardinals and the bears are by far the two worst teams in the nfl so i'm not going to give anyone too much praise for beating either of those teams in the same way. I'm not going to kind of wax lyrical about Daniel Jones for managing to have a comeback win against the Cardinals. I'm not going to go too overboard. Let's see how he does this week against the Eagles. This is, this is where I think the Baker Mayfield, we really know rears his ugly head. And this is where we see just the catastrophic (laughs) Baker Mayfield performance. But the nice thing is they have an easy enough schedule. He could end up with having a really quite a nice year. Like this could be the year that salvages his NFL career and has him suddenly hang around. You know, you were talking coming into the season, right? You were predicting 
you know, being a media member by the end of the season and all that <laughs> stuff. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to be like, well, you were wrong. That could still be the outcome. But I do think when you look at the start that he's had and then you look at the fact that their division isn't particularly good and then their non-divisional games include, you know, some some pretty winnable games as well, he could get to the end of the year and, and kind of have managed to get the Bucks to maybe an eight, nine win season. Yeah. Some pretty a pretty decent statistical performance, and then he's suddenly back the on guy State who Farm. always gets back on the well, commercials, the guy, baby. <laughs> that, that shit might have sailed, but he might definitely be more in every time there's a quarterback spot to be filled. He's like one of the three or four guys being discussed as a free agent signing or a backup who could be traded to be a starter. Yeah. So real quick in that division, surprisingly, you have three two and zero teams: the Falcons the Saints, and the Bucks. Who wins the division? And are any of them legitimate playoff contenders? No. All of them are <laughs> the dream. The no, 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 it's a contender. <laughs> None of them are contenders. All of them are like the dream opening playoff weekend, wild card weekend matchup. Yeah. This is the team that's going to be the nine-point underdog in the wild card game and just get blown out. Which is, you know, it's a position we're used to. And I think the Saints win the division. I actually think the Saints looked okay last night. Like they didn't, they should have won by more than they did. Yeah. And um, I thought they looked pretty competent. Their defense looks good. The Panthers do look bad. So I'm not good. Again, can't read too much it, into it, but I it, think the Saints look all right. It's strange that I maybe it's just early in the season and they're trying to get a feel because maybe they knew they were going to win that game. But they were like unnecessarily targeting Michael Thomas. Like there were plays where Michael Thomas had like four guys on him, and it's as if someone's telling his car, like, "I don't give a shit. Just throw it to him. Give him a touch. Make him feel wanted." You know, like it was kind of weird. There was a few. I was like, "Why is he throwing that to him?" That's like it wasn't even close. But I, yeah, I think maybe, maybe, and maybe that kind of is the plan. Like get Thomas involved a little bit, get him back into the rhythm. You know, he hasn't been playing very often as of uh, the past few seasons. So if you can get him and Alave together, that's, that's a pretty good threat there. And then their defenses, they're just mean. They've always been, I was, I was telling this last night, like as long as I've kind of watched the saints, they've just always been a really mean defense. Like they're just nasty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we won't touch on all the reasons why they've been mean over the years. Right. But no, yeah, I, I do agree. They made that game more complicated than it should have been. But and the Michael Thomas thing, maybe they just know he's not going to hang around for too long. So have him involved while he's there. But yeah, I think they're good enough. They should win that division. I, I'm completely unconvinced by the Falcons, for example, <laughs> at the, as a 2-0. Did you see the more I see Desmond Ritter uh, like post press conferences for someone who's what a second year quarterback? He looks like he's like the 55 year old offensive coordinator. <laughs> He looks like he could have been like the coordinator. Like he's the guy who's been like a journeyman coordinator making his way through the rounds. Like even the way he talks and the way he looks like he does not look like a what 23 year old second year quarterback or talk like one at all. It's so funny. Yeah. And the Niners, we can just quickly say job done. You know, thank God. (laughs) Just uh... had them. And I didn't say anything, but that was my survivor pick for, for that week. And, yeah, I, I wasn't too worried because that was a game where I was playing hockey, so I could only watch one game, and obviously I was going to watch the Giants, so we had that 
on the bench as I was playing hockey. We had my phone on the bench watching the Giants. Also Arizona, so everyone else was kind of invested in it too. So I didn't really get to watch that game, but I just kept kind of seeing the score updates. I was like, oh shit, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> no, I mean, I never, obviously I, I never, I was never concerned. You know, it felt the only moment where you could have said maybe a little bit concerning was when the Rams went up 17-10 and then, you know, the Niners immediately drove down the field in under two minutes and tied the game up going into halftime and had the balls to, you know, you got to give Shanahan credit again going that we say bold moves by uh, head coaches, play callers, time expiring you're in a field goal range. You could have just guaranteed cut it to 17-13 and instead to go for it and pick up the touchdown to make it 17-all. I don't think it really mattered. I think no matter what they'd done there, uh, it would have you know ended up with them winning. But still, it was a, a little bit of a ballsy call. And I don't know if he does it. Part of me feels like that's the Shanahan-McVay rivalry almost coming out in that play call decision of a, like, hey, look, you get you got so much praise for being the adventurous play caller years ago. Here's Here's one thing that... Maybe you didn't expect me to do. And the other thing I will say about the Niners, the the you came into it the season. One of your big question marks was at the kicker, and him nailing a fifty-seven yard field goal. You know that that'll help. <laughs> yeah, it at least instills a bit of confidence in that position. Yeah. All right. What does that wrap up? Everything. I mean, I guess Nick Chubb. We didn't really touch on it too much, but obviously very sad. That's back-to-back Monday night games now where someone's had a season-ending injury. He's It's unclear exactly what he's done, but he's torn multiple ligaments supposedly in his knee. It's pretty similar to an injury he had in college. Yeah. Like when you see the the still frame side-by-side, side, it's like a pretty much identical same leg bending back in a way that Ugh. your knee is not supposed to bend back. Um, or to, the, I guess you yeah. said to the side. <laughs> Wasn't yeah, not bending yeah. to the back, bending ninety degrees in the in the yeah. direction that it does not bend. Yes, Ooh. but and just sometimes it amazes me, both in the NFL and rugby, that injuries like that do not happen more frequently. Yeah, that just with players throwing themselves down and bodies kind of coming at you in multiple directions, the fact that that is not almost a weekly occurrence of someone having just their knee completely blown out is sort of surprising, but. Uh, Ugh. Yeah, it's and sad. you could like really... as soon as it happened too. They for some reason, which I don't know why, they wouldn't show the replay. But what they would do is they went down to the camera mic, and you could literally hear him on the field. Like I don't know if if, yeah. uh, if you saw, but like you yeah, could yeah. hear the field of him just being like ah ah, like he was screaming pretty loudly. And I was like, oh man, that well, does that... not sound good at all. Like that is well, a, that... that is a vicious yell he's yelling right now. That and the decision to not show it on TV, but to show it in the stadium, so that then part of the TV coverage yeah. became the the like oh from collectively from the fans, which was then part of how you had Joe Buck being like, well, we can tell this is a bad injury because you probably just heard all of the Steelers fans really groaning. We're not going to show that one. Yeah, and then I do understand. Instantly at home, everyone rewound on their on their TV and and watched it like we did in slow motion. Yeah, or you go on Twitter and you look it up, you know, like I do kind of understand why they don't show it. I at the same time I think you show it. I think that is I think you just got to you know everyone's going to see it. And maybe you say, "Hey, if you're a bit squeamish, turn away now, but we are going to show you this injury." 
I can see kind I can see why they don't, but it just you know, if you're going to show it in the stadium, if the replays are going to be available, there are angles of the replay that were obviously not even part of the broadcast recording that I've now watched online. So uh, they have are been they bad, you know. I mean, they're not good. Yeah, put it that way. At the same time, I have to admit, I expected it to be worse because at first the initial thought was that he'd broken his leg. And I thought we were going to see like a, a, a horrific leg snap, which that that's the ones. Those are the ones to me that I I don't want to see. The knee injury is gruesome. So ligam- snapped ligaments, okay. Snapped bones, no good. <laughs> that's where you draw the line. <laughs> yes. If I'm the producer, that's where I'm. Is it a ligament or is it a bone? Show it. <laughs> but no, the, the the bone ones to me are are tough when it's it's literally you know like the the full snap. How and about me- the, how about the um the uh, Aaron Rodgers? Have you seen the Aaron Rodgers one where the real close-up slow-mo of his Achilles like snapping and like shooting up like like a a rubber band is that okay or is that no good that's fine to me and and honestly that's no that's no more but again we saw multiple replays of that during the game that to me is no more gruesome in a sense than what happened to Nick Chubb you know like those are and in a way the Achilles almost bothers me more because I can just imagine that happening to me in my day-to-day life. Like the Achilles injury is now a major, not as a result of Aaron Rodgers, but just as you age. Oh, oh, the Achilles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just the Achilles injury to me as you age becomes like every time, like, oh shit, if, if anything really bad is going to happen to me while I play basketball or softball hey, or whatever. Happened to my uncle. My- he was like in, in his forties or fifties, just playing pickup basketball one day and thing just snapped and went all the way up his calf <laughs> yeah no i Not mean good. when i'm playing no i know it's yeah when i'm playing but pick up basketball it definitely is something that it, it crosses my mind it's the one part of me that i will really try and stretch the most is trying making sure that i my achilles is as stretched as it can oh. be and even then i'm still concerned i guess i guess yours isn't life-threatening because now every time i get a bruise on my leg and i show someone i get about 30 questions about are you worried about a black clot again <laughs> <laughs> No, I think Achilles is unlikely to take me out. So I I guess we're probably going to switch to European sports. So I know we haven't done this in a while. I figured we got to get a little loose and and goosey on the podcast. So I've got a nice European transition, Eddie, because ye old BuzzFeed popped up on my Facebook today or yesterday, and it was... 18 very common everyday European things that would be considered luxuries in the United States. Okay. I can already think of what one of them is going to be. First, let me preface this by whoever came up with this obviously lived in France because almost every one of them is like kind of French themed. There's not many like I couldn't pick any out that are like from Spain. There's one that mentions Germany, but they mostly seem kind of French to me. But here we go. All right. Number one, no gaps in bathroom stall doors. The ones between the doors. Apparently, this is a big thing for Americans. There's a lot of people peeking at one eye through that little <laughs> gap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do like the no gap and I do like the door not ending like a foot above the ground. I don't know why you would, I guess, air some flow. of it would be in So everyone air can smell your stank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and and hear all the noise super clearly. I do. I do. I obviously would prefer a complete door. It's. I don't get the the person who's making the decision for the non-complete door. I don't understand the yeah. logic. But at the same time, it doesn't bother me so much. Like if I walk into a nut, like I don't suddenly think, oh my God, I'm exposed. So so I think here the big the big thing that people don't understand is when you have that in Europe, when you have that full closed stall door, it a lot of times is men or women's. It's a way to yeah. make the bathroom like unisex. Which, but even in a pure men's, it's the same. It is. Usually. No, it is. But but I think that's a big benefit. Like that's the thing I yeah. hate about America is like the men and the women's bathrooms where it's so much easier sometimes to just have four stalls and like a communal sink, you know, but that would never happen in America. Jesus Christ. Yeah, let's let's not get into the politics of bathrooms in the United States in twenty twenty three. Yeah. Who would have thought that'd be a sentence someone says? Um, automatically having four to six weeks of vacation at time of hire. Yeah, I mean, again, that's that's a slight myth to a certain degree. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, yeah, that's a country-by-country country basis. Not every European country has that much vacation. And I'll also say this, to dispel a lot of thoughts, you, you often just can't take that much. Even though legally you have that amount of vacation available to you, you know, if you're trying to have a job where you progress up the rankings, taking six weeks of vacation in a lot of countries is... For, you know, and not acceptable, even if it's technically allowed. So the, I don't the know other, many people. The other interesting thing to that is Americans are notorious for not even taking the small amount of vacation days they have. So even if you had more, like the average American doesn't take their full three weeks of vacation they get. Yeah. And I do think that to me would be the bigger argument is the sti- maybe some of the stigma in the United States with that like taking vacation means you're lazy or not committed to your job or you know that hey, that kind of element to me, baby <laughs> that to me that's the larger argument versus but you know like oh, in what? france there's there's no judgment when you take vacation that you're you're not i mean there are certain for me having worked at startups there's certainly been times at a startup where yeah. if anyone had said i'm taking a vacation next week that would have been an immediate like this guy doesn't care about his job it's good segue but, into number three eddie quality of work life Quality of added benefits associated with work too. In Europe, people get great benefits from the get-go versus people in the States have to stay with a company for years to get similar benefits. Yeah, but I'm going to dispel some myths for our American listeners. You pay for those. You know, this is the big thing. Sometimes it's not an anti-American rant. This isn't even a pro-Europe rant, but... You know, like salaries are lower in in Europe than they are in the U.S. And part of the reason why they're lower is because a a sizable portion of your salary goes to all those benefits that you have immediately available to you. They're not free. It's not like the generosity of employers deciding to give you, you know, great health care or the generosity of your country deciding to do so. You pay for it through, you know, tax and Social Security and other deductions. So kind of true. But then the argument would be, well, if you earn... 10, 15% more, then you can go and pay for those things yourself if you really want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. All right. Number four, no high fructose corn syrup in everything. Three explanation points. Like, <laughs> it's a luxury? <laughs> like, comma, you don't even need to check the label for it. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, yeah, that, that doesn't seem like a luxury element, but sure, it's true. It's less prevalent. So this is the one that I know personally because my mom is in love with these things. Those towel warmer racks and heated bathroom floors. 
I, a heated bathroom floors, I feel like you almost never see. That's real luxury. I see that more that's in America. A, I've never seen that yeah, in Europe, that, but I've seen that's that That's a way more American. Because you need a modern build house for the most point, or, you know, yeah. like, I don't know anyone in Paris who has a heated bathroom floor. In the their- towel warm rack, though, is, is a real thing that I don't understand why it never hit in America. It, that, no. I, would, I would be willing to watch a 30-minute, like, little show on History Network or Discovery Channel about why the towel rack warmer oh, never made it in America. It's got to have a story. There's probably it's a big towel. <laughs> It's a conspiracy there. It's big towel. No, no, it's they big know. dryer. It's big dryer. <laughs> no, it's big towel because they know if you don't do that, you have to wash your towels more, and then that wears them out more frequently. And so you got to go and buy towels more often. I think it's big you know, dryer it's- because then after every shower, you just have to wash and dry your towel. <laughs> Maybe, but yeah, no, it's it is it is a strange thing. And again, especially in a country that has embraced a lot of luxury, like the heated bathroom floor like those are things i associate way more with america than i do with europe so for europe to have just been like yeah that's the standard you have a uh, but yeah yeah it's a weird one uh this is a weird one extremely strong consumer protection laws a bare minimum quality expectation of all service and products i love this one because different companies or foreign products try to circumvent this all the time and they always lose yeah, I mean, it's true. The, the European Union does have pretty good consumer protection laws. Yeah. It seems like a strange luxury yes, argument for that. Here's yours, Eddie. Bum guns. I want bidets to be widely accepted in the U.S. See, now this, I think, is becoming a myth because I know more and more of my friends that have bidets. Almost, I would say almost once a month, I hear a new friend say, we just installed a bidet in our house and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in Europe, I've only lived in one house with a bidet. Oh, there and, you go. Breaking the myth. And and yeah, and I think people think every house in, or apartment in France has a bidet in this. Next to the towel region. warmer. <laughs> yeah, it's just not the it's not the case. And yeah, I, I agree with you that the the sort of popularity of those in like little additional bidets you can get in the U.S. and all those startups that you hear advertised on podcasts and stuff to allow you to just plug that in and have it set up. That seems like the bidet now almost feels like a more American thing. Yeah. I get Japan would be the stronger argument for that. Cause they have the like super fancy toilets <laughs> in Europe. I, you don't see them as much as I think people think you do. All right. Can't believe it's not more prominent, but the right to privacy and recently digital privacy GDPR was an excellent piece of legislation. Agree. I don't think we're the right podcast to be discussing the efficiency of GDPR. But yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, GDPR works. It does it does protect it does protect you from having your details shared. I know that from work I do, it does help you in that respect. But yeah, I don't think we're the right we're not the right place to be discussing. I love that that's lumped in between bidets and fresh baked bread for reasonable prices that you can get in the walking distance of your home and aren't full of preservatives. Yeah. yeah, that is that is a true. And there are days still t- like where I'm driving to work and I kind of think like, oh, I wish I could just stop at a bakery real quick and pick up like a good baked good. And I'm not saying there aren't bakeries and places to do that, but it's so much easier. Like any bakery you stop in, you can be assured there's going to be some like quality little like breakfast, like a pastry or or something that you can just eat on the go. Whereas here it's like, well, this one place I know a few miles down has good scones, but that other place has like 
good croissants, but that's like four four minutes the other way. You know, it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give that. Next one, pretty similar. Decent quality chocolate available in almost any random corner shop. It's a weird I mean, one. I don't, what, I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's true. I mean, European chocolate does beat American chocolate for me, but I wouldn't say if I walk into my corner shop on this right here, I don't think I'm going to be overwhelmed by the quality of chocolate available to me too. Yeah, there's a good chance it's just gonna be like the best case scenario is there's a couple bars of lint or whatever. You know, there's real farmers markets. Uh I mean the farmers market is an American more American thing. Real sort of food markets, sure. Yeah. yeah they are definitely more common. But yeah, the what an American is picturing when you say farmer farmers market, that doesn't exist as much. Yeah, no, it like doesn't. Someone's someone selling their artisanal jam and all sorts of <laughs> like that. That bit is less common. It's much more likely it's just a couple stalls with some vegetables, meat, fish stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not. Now, have we hit the one, Eddie, that you thought we definitely hear? Bidet was the one I knew oh, was going to be. I thought it was going to be this one. Good public transit, both in and outside of the main cities. Yeah, I mean, that's fair, right? I, I, we've had the discussion before, right? I'm a, I'm a bus boy. I don't think I could be a bus boy in America. And <laughs> no, and definitely you'd be stabbed. You know, yeah. And we're planning a trip in the U S right. And at no point have I considered taking a train. So, no. you know, we there could. are. Yeah. We could, we could no, take I mean, a train this... from uh, Los Angeles to San Diego. That's a nice train ride, actually. Okay, well, then what happens to the car that we've taken to Los Angeles? I don't know. That's going to be an issue. Leave it, leave it in Skid Row. It's actually a nice drive as well down the Pacific Coast Highway. So either way, it's going to be nice. All right. How about this, Eddie? Time. Time to eat in a restaurant without being shoved out. Time to sip a coffee at a cafe. Time to spend with new children. Time to go on vacation. Time to be late to every Friday night at Bugsy's. Seems like an unattainable luxury. <laughs> To this American, uh, I mean, yeah, there's a little overlap there with holiday, right? Um, yeah, I think you get more time. I do think I will. One element, I think people think that everyone takes like an hour long lunch break, ninety minute lunch break. That really isn't the case for the most part. Certainly not on a daily basis. But in terms of, you're never going to have a waiter tell you, like, pressure you to leave as you're sipping a coffee for an hour or eating lunch very slowly, that's, that's pretty much true in most, in the vast majority of cases. But can I counterpoint this? Do you think most Europeans are less punctual? Or is, yes. that, or is that just you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm punctual for the things I need to be punctual for. But... Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> But uh, do I think, yeah, I do think, I do think so. I do think as a culture, it's, it's more of the like seven ish, uh, like yeah. what time are we meeting versus we're meeting at seven. I think there's a, and I know there's Ted talks and stuff that you can watch all breaking down how different cultures treat time differently in that respect. And I do think yeah. that's true that in, in Europe, think... it's much more of a like ballpark versus in the U S it's much more, no, we said we're having dinner at seven. So, yeah, I think it's both ways. I think it's it's Europeans are, or I guess I should say, I should say more French because that's more of the experience I have. Is it's more ballparky time, but also there there's less like annoyance if someone 
is late or doesn't show up properly. Whereas like in the States, I think it's not so much that like the time is the time. It's people get like, like punctuality is a big thing to Americans. Like I am an extreme, like people put on their resume. It's like, I'm extremely punctual. Like, that's great. But you scored a 200 on your SATs. You're fucking idiot. <laughs> well, you had to get out on time. But I also think there's a difference there. Like reservations aren't as common here for starters. Yeah. You know, I, it's always the biggest thing I have when people come and stay with me. And I'd be like, I made a reservation for the restaurant tomorrow. Obviously there are. Oh, very nice always makes reservations when we go to dinner. But it's an American thing. But, <laughs> no, you know, like very nice restaurants, obviously you got to have a reservation, make sure you have a table or whatever. That's different. But the like day-to-day -day restaurant, the idea of calling up and be like, I booked us a table for eight. It's like, why? We could have just turned up around eight and there would have been a table. Oh, you know, wait, wait, do you have to show up at the time for the amount of people you have? So if you have eight people, yes. you got to show up for eight? <laughs> well, no, no. You just be like, we're going to be eight. So <laughs> give us a big table, please. But uh, that is the, the reservation is like in a very, uh, a much more American concept than it is, you know, a European one. All right. I'll go through the rest of these quick. Can't speak for all of Europe, but workers rights. WTF is quote, getting fired on the day, quote, or quitting for that matter. You get three months here. What? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really get it. And then I had to read the little blurb underneath and I still kind of really didn't get it. But I think what they're saying is like in America, people just get like fired or quit yeah. kind of like on the spot. Whereas they're like, there's a lot more like rules and regulations about getting fired and like how much lead, like, like yeah. when you quit. I don't know. Definitely depend. Definitely depends on the European country, right? Yeah. That can vary greatly. It's true that being sort of fired on the spot, unless you've done something horrific, like just for sort of marginal poor performance, it's is not as easy to do in most European countries. But All right, yeah. I'll, I'll give you one that I actually agree with. So affordable high speed internet for under twenty dollars, you can get one gigabyte up and down a month with negligible in negligible. Jesus Christ. Without, without I think, I'm just going to say, I think if I tried to make you say that a couple more times, you're going to get canceled. Negligible installation fees. Uh, uh, under, 20, uh, under $20 a month might be a little bit of a stretch, but yeah, it's definitely less expensive than it is in the US. And especially like when I was there with free for the phone service as well was super cheap compared to here. Like it, phone and internet is way cheaper in Europe than it is here. That For the I, most part, yeah. That one is one that kind of under under twenty under twenty is a stretch. I yeah. pay like I, for the my inter home internet. I pay like oh. fifty fifty a month. I, I I will not say how much I pay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put this way: between phone and internet, <laughs> half my paycheck goes to it. Phone um, and internet combined. Phone. I will be. Phone and internet combined for me is a hundred and ten euros a month. Oh. All right. I actually will. So phone and internet and TV because I also have TV and cable. I'm paying probably four hundred a month. I don't have TV and cable though, so that's the extra three hundred. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get HGTV. That's three hundred a month right there. You can't watch Bravo. You can't watch Below yeah. Deck on Bravo. <laughs> okay, the last two are food related. So, food that doesn't have this is a weird one because this is kind of, this is a weird person here. Food that doesn't have a ton of artificial additives and non-food ingredients that makes you sick. 
I never realized that I, that what that's what was causing my stomach problems until I went on vacation in Europe. And within a day, I had no stomach problems at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, it came, and it came back a day after I returned back to the States. They can make oh, great food, even packaged junk food, with just real food ingredients. Why can't we, America? <laughs> I mean, this person needs to seriously consult a doctor if it's 24 hours to just, you know, there's some weird choices being made. I would say, yeah, overall quality of food is higher. We've kind of already spoken about that. And I do also think quality of fast food is higher too. You know, like I, you know, like McDonald's is not complete garbage here. I would not get a McDonald's burger in the US. You know, there's... And that's, that was from Lake Coffee on Reddit. If you want to go look up what other gems that person has. <laughs> well, probably mostly just discussing their massive stomach. Last issues. one is similar. I'm just going to assume really good cheese is a legitimate answer. Okay. Depends a little country by country, I guess. I don't know if people are going to Germany and raving about the cheese necessarily. The so. state of Wisconsin wants you to have some say about that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cheese is more common and, and, and nicer. That's true. All right. I don't know how we transition from that. I, on a similar, slightly similar note, before we maybe do a quick wrap up of the Premier League and stuff. One person who loves to talk about the quality of food, especially in Europe, oh, who yes. I've just had this is Vasilis, isn't it? No, it's not Vasilis related. This is a celebrity who I just have had enough of and the world seems to have embraced. And Ooh, wait, wait, I think wait, there's wait, a... wait, wait, without saying who it is, give me a little bit more about why you hate them and why the world loves them. And let me see if I can guess. Super pretentious. I think has absolutely no food knowledge outside of being wealthy and having the time to embrace food. Like, I think that's, it's one of those people who complete lack of awareness that the only reason why they're able to you know, enjoy, no, Selena Gomez. enjoy, no, enjoy food to this degree is because of their lifestyle more than I'm just such a big foodie. Like already when people call themselves foodie for the most part, I just think the, you really mean you like, like you have disposable income that you can put towards food. You know, there's a reason why the guy working minimum wage in McDonald's is not a big foodie. You know, it's not because of his unsophisticated palate, but it's Stanley Tucci. Oh, I, damn. I could have got there, Eddie. I could have got I, there. Because, but, but are you aware that he does his food show on CNN? Yeah, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> the only reason he does his food show is because he's a pretentious rich prick who's realized that he could care about food because he can build a pizza oven in his uh you know garden in london and buy expensive ingredients and show us you know watch as he makes his ooh, his italian food and tell as, us how special as he has his brother and sister-in-law emily and john over for a nice aperol spritz. exactly you know and I'm sure he does really like food and really appreciate food, but he doesn't know anything about food. You know what I mean? Like more, wow. he's not providing insights. He knows more because he's dedicating some time to it. His I don't CNN know. Just, show, he, he does talk a lot. Like he, like what, but I don't know how much of that he actually knows and how much is obviously scripted, but <laughs> you know, he tours Italy and, and does the things, but go ahead. Rant. <laughs> what is it's it? Just so it's, it's just so pretentious. It's just so pretentious. 
And I just don't know why the person, anyone's, you know, I have to listen to people taking serious food advice from Stanley Tucci. I like, what's the world coming to? You know, it's just, I don't, about, I don't, I don't get Paris? it. No, no, about food, just food oh. in general, you know, like, but mostly about Italy, right? Because it's the only thing he can really discuss in any detail because well, he's an Italian because he's an Italian American. So of course he, you know, the, the, you know, mother country, homeland, whatever he wants to say is, oh, he has just, it's in his blood and he can feel it, you know, when he has a slice of pizza in Napoli, he can feel it coursing through his veins. You know, like <laughs> I that. think you're missing though, the fact that he has a show called touring Italy where he goes no, to like, but, but I'm aware but I think, but, no, but what I'm saying is, I think when when you say people are taking advice from Stanley Tucci, I think it's more that people are taking advice based off his show that other people have curated no. the best no, no. spots in Italy that he then goes no. to. No, no, no. See, this means that you've you've managed to avoid then, obviously, Stanley Tucci's social media presence, I suppose, because that includes him just cooking at home, telling you like. When I get home from a night out and I'm, you know, feeling a little bit hungry, I just I get out one of my I make I get one of my nineteen Le Creuset dishes out and then I just toss this thing together. Mm, and while his wife goes, Oh, Stanley, it looks beautiful. You know, and it's just Emily. like God. Don't you wish I was Emily? <laughs> <laughs> I just it just, just bothers me. Necessary burn in her. <laughs> it just it just bothers me so much. Again, it's just like the lack of it's, it's how I can get people just getting really annoyed with rich people. You know, like when someone just being like, burn the rich. Stanley Tucci would be top of the list for me. <laughs> just like, oh, this guy. He's just, how about you act in a good movie for the first time in 15 years, Stanley? Wow. And then we, can talk, then we can talk about how much you love Parmesan. The, devil's, the Devil Wears Prada would like to slap you in the face for that one. <laughs> Was The Devil Wears Prada within the last 15 years? I think it's on the cusp. <laughs> probably not. Probably right. I think it's uh, yeah. I, so. Yeah. Anyway, it is what it is. If I have, I, I have written thing. down a few places he's visited on his show, but that's different. I'm not taking the advice from him. It's like this is the world's most known pizzeria and blah blah blah, and we're gonna go see how they make it. Like that's different. That's like the show doesn't experts are show, giving him those places. Right. The show bothers me less, but I still have to wonder why Stanley Tucci has to be the guy they chose for that show. Someone's but I get it. it. They think someone, but they could pick someone who, you know, has dedicated their life to working in restaurants and some element of the food. I think that I do think as a society it'd be kind of nicer to reward people who actually it's not just like, hey, you became famous doing one thing. How about you do another thing that someone else is trying really hard to do? Like that would be cool. But the show bothers me less. It's just the like his, you go on Stanley Tucci's Instagram, it's just him talking about the food he likes. He gets invited to do talks where he just speaks about food now. And I just think who on earth is paying to listen to Stanley Tucci talk about food? Like, I just don't. Would you anyway. listen to Gordon Ramsay tear into Stanley Tucci? I would I would watch Gordon Ramsay cook Stanley Tucci. I mean that would be that would be if I could have that as an option, Kitchen Nightmares comes back just to I'd like the scene from Hannibal 
I'd like him to anesthetize Stanley Tucci, slice open his skull, and start feeding his brain to him, but in a nice ragu, you know, like, and toss in some, some, you know, some hand, hand, a nice carbonara done the traditional <laughs> way. <laughs> yes. And he could, oh, Gordon, I can, I can taste the pancetta in this. <laughs> or, or is it guanciale? I can't quite, I can't quite tell the difference. Be like, so, no, that's your brain. Safe to <laughs> say, Stanley Tucci not coming on the podcast anytime soon. <laughs> Probably not. No. Probably cuts off Emily Blunt and John Krasinski as well. <laughs> uh, that's that's uh, that's three birds with one stone, as far as I'm concerned. That's that is that is a wonderful outcome. Anyway, the Premier League. Not too much to discuss this week. Um, Manchester City survived a slight scare. I guess worth mentioning. You know, it looks West Ham away. Kind of match teams slip up on sometimes. One nil down, start of the second half. It felt like, oh, maybe this is the first sign of weakness. And then Doku, new signing. I mean, much highly respected player, young player. A little bit provided the uh, spark that they needed to have that comeback. Yeah. You know what? Like sometimes you get like those. I don't know actually if you get them in Europe. This could be another great regulation where gambling sites can't pop up on your notifications. But I had a, I woke up. And there was a notification on my phone that said um, boosted. And it was to, I think, four to one or five to one. I think it was four to one. It was City over three and a half, City to win, and Erling Holland to score. And it like it came up like boosted. And I was like, ooh, that's not bad. And then it was kind of, I just read it as I had woken up. And then I kind of forgot about it. And then I never bet it. And then, of course, as soon as they went down one nil, I was like, oh, here it comes. They're going to score like at least three goals and then like cruise through and Holland's going to score like some inconsequential fourth penalty or, you know, some goal that really doesn't matter, but he still gets a goal. And it's exactly what happened. I was so pissed. I didn't take it because it, it went right to form. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he didn't have a great game, Holland. He missed a couple of, of good chances before he eventually got their third. But, you know, it's just another, it's just hard to see when they survive these kind of matches, it's just so hard to see how they don't win the league because it just feels inevitable that, you know, even when they're not at their best and things kind of go against them, they just, not only do they end up winning, they kind of end up winning comfortably, which is, you know, say the opposite being Spurs who scored two goals in the 99th and the 100th minute. And deserve to win that game. I do think some people are kind of making fun of them. A, the idea of like, oh, they needed all this injury time. I mean, that's Sheffield United getting punished for time wasting. Yeah. You know, like that's, this is a game we're supposed to be embracing. It's not like Spurs were killing time to try and lose 1-0. Um, I, you know, I had, I had a, a friend good... at that match. Well, said it's it was a good. A, said it was the most exciting sporting event she's ever been to. And I said, really? Because the first 90 weren't that great. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing, right? The exciting ending makes up for everything else. So yeah, you to be caught up in that two goals in two minutes to win the game must have been great. But the first yeah, yeah ninety nine minutes would have been a little bit dull. Uh, and then the, I mean the big big talking point I suppose is Manchester United being sort of swept aside by by Brighton. Good lord! And I mean do not Brighton are good. a good squad, but nonetheless they are. You know you're Manchester United, and eventually you need to at start. home. Yeah, at home, you need to fucking step up. 
Yeah, and it's just, I don't know if Aaron Ten, Eric Ten Hag is the right man for the job. And I feel myself, I mean, as a complete neutral torn because I get the sense watching it both in terms of the style of play that they have and then also with the way he's managing various situations, including the Sancho uh, in, sort of incidents at the moment. I don't feel like he's the right person for a job as big as that. But at the same time, history would tell you in pretty much every sport, you get rewarded by not chopping and changing coaches mm -hmm. too frequently. Like having loyalty for coaches usually pays off. That ah. And that Manchester United... Malc the old Malcolm Gladwell philosophy, Eddie. You embrace him more and more by the day. <laughs> I mean, but it is true. You know, like teams do typically... And it's tough because it's chicken-egg conversation in a way. Is the loyalty to the coach rewarded because, like, does the coach become better because of the loyalty, or did you were you loyal to the right coach, and over time they you knew that they could fix it, and so is you know is the thought, well, we don't think this is the right guy for the job, but we better keep him because history tells us if he stays here for six years, he probably gets better, or is it this guy isn't the right guy for the job, and we better bring someone else in who we feel like we could stick through through a rough patch, and. I lean more towards, I don't think he's the right person for the job, and I don't think loyalty is going to improve the situation. But it makes them look bad if just every 18 months Manchester United are changing their manager. Yeah. Yeah. When it, like <laughs> Bring in the Malcolm Gladwell the debate. His is more with CEOs than, than coaches because or managers, you know, because coaches and managers aren't setting the squad. His whole debate with, you know, like, flipping out CEOs is that by the time the CEOs changes are actually implemented, you know, you might have already fired them because of oh, the last CEOs mistakes and you didn't give them long enough, blah, blah, blah. It can kind of be applied to coaches though, because I think there is a mindset that has to be instilled in a team. And then sometimes you need to change the personnel you have to fit your managing style. But it can be argued at places like United you don't have the luxury or the time to bring in someone who has a completely different philosophy and doesn't fit with the current group and say, we're going to give you four years, you know, like change this group in the next three years, how exactly you want it. And then let's see what year four looks like. You know, you can maybe do that at a smaller club, but you can't do that at United because the fans won't allow that. And maybe they shouldn't allow it when you're spending that much money anyway. But it's, you're, I think what you're saying is right is that he might not be the right person for this position with what he's got. And it's not likely that they're going to give him enough time to change that lineup enough to make it reflect what he wants. Yeah, my big concern over him is it doesn't feel like he has a system that he's really trying to put in place. And, that, and then there you can say this is a project, this is a work in progress, which you felt, you know, like when Klopp came to Liverpool, he, he didn't instantly turn them into title contenders, but it did feel like he was putting a system in place and that if they gave him time to get the right players in, to have the players learn the system, that things would get better. Same with even Guardiola. You know, his first season at City was a little shaky and uh, even I doubted him for a bit of, you can't bring the same way you play with Barcelona and Bayern Munich to the Premier League. And he did change. He's adapted over time, but still the principles of his system kind of remain the same. And, you know, you look at Brighton. Brighton are a great example of a team that has a clear system. They bring players in that fit that system. They And that is reaping tremendous benefits. Yeah. And United just, and Arsenal too, 
you know, the system that Arteta has put in place there. Now they look like a team that know every player knows what their responsibility is. They're signing players to try and improve. I mean, sometimes not as successfully, but still to try and kind of improve their efficiency in that system. And United just sort of feel like as if you sat down with Eric Ten Hag and were like, what are you trying to do at Manchester United? And be, I think his answer would basically be, I want them to be better. Do you think... You know, they wouldn't... But do you think, though, that's because he feels the pressure that he can't put in his own system because he doesn't have the time and that he's trying to make a system to adapt to what he's got and that's not the right approach? Possibly. And it's tough, right? Because the era of... You know, there's a director of the era where the manager is determining all the signings and stuff is gone. So that can also sometimes they can, he might be telling them, the, you know, telling them the type of players they need to sign. And maybe they aren't delivering on the type of players he wants necessarily. I think Pep and Klopp still are kind of saying who to sign for the most part. They, they're definitely giving an opinion and they might have a veto, a power of veto or, or some influence, but still fundamentally, no, you know, like someone else is making that decision because they are trying to separate, you know, they're not wanting, like Pep is not scouting Europe to try and find young players. And at the same time, you know, they know that, uh, you know, his focus is on, you know, you're giving him tools and he's having to do the best with it, but he's probably telling them this summer, we need to sign a new right back. I'd like that right back to obviously be of a certain style of play. They maybe come to him and say, we've identified these five players. Are you happy with all five of them? We don't know which one of them will sign yet. And he says, yeah, I'm happy with all of those. Get whichever one you can at the best deal or whatever. I think for the most part, that's probably what's happening. And maybe in rare circumstances with like Erling Holland, maybe his contract situation where everyone knows he is, re- he is available, then maybe Pep is coming and saying, we absolutely have to sign Erling Holland. Like this is a must have player for me. But I don't know. I, I think Ten Hag's been there for enough time at this point that I would have just thought you would start to see more elements of that system be there. And at times there are, and there obviously have been positives under him, but then he does crazy things like completely abandon any sense of shape or tactics. Like when they played, you know, they played with no true forwards and they he just throws holding midfielders into the situation He's probably been hurt. Like Casemiro was very good when he signed, and now Casemiro seems almost unplayable. Uh, you know, there's like certainly things maybe a little bit outside of his control that haven't gone so well, but he just feels it feels rudderless fundamentally. And that's a really that's the worst. I'd almost rather have someone like if you imagine they're the Titanic, I'd almost rather have someone who just said, We're gonna steamroll through that iceberg and see how things see how things come out turn out. <laughs> And whereas Eric Ten Hag feels like he's taken his hands off the off the wheel and is closing his eyes and just saying, I hope we miss the iceberg. And yeah. at the moment they're hitting every iceberg. Well, you know, they'll they'll kind of escape a little bit. Hopefully. I mean, I I don't really care, but for them, I you know, they would be optimistic. And in uh next in the Premier League, they've got Burnley, Crystal Palace, Brentford and Sheffield and then but they maybe win all those matches they you know the ship the rudder has been reinstalled they got the right guy on the rudder and then they run into city <laughs> at the end of October which could be a, a, a disaster and then but then again then then they got Fulham, Luton, Everton 
you know, like they've got a lot of easier matches built in here, but yeah. you're going to get to a city match that they're probably going to lose. And then you've got, you know, Newcastle, Chelsea. Those are all going to be, I think maybe not Chelsea, but, but Newcastle might be a tough match. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me tell you the, the way I think it's going to go. I think they're going to get absolutely embarrassed by Bayern Munich tomorrow. Yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> that's going to go terribly for them. So I think Bayern Munich will just pick them apart. I think they will not win all of those matches against Burnley, Palace, uh, Brentford, and Sheffield, and Sheffield United. I don't think I'd be very surprised if that's four wins. I would more expect maybe two wins, a draw, and a loss. Wow. And then That'd that's, and that's going to. Yeah, and then they're going to play City, and then City are going to absolutely pick them apart. And I think Eric, <laughs> I think Eric Ten Hag gets fired while I'm on my flight to Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> I think, looking at the dates, I think that pretty much lines up. Oh, that's great. I think uh, Eric Ten Hag's Halloween costume is going to be <laughs> going to be like the bindle, you know the uh, the. The homeless, the stick on the bag on the stick. I think that's going to be how he's leaving Old Trafford in, on the 31st of October. <laughs> yeah. It, we'll, we'll have to wait and see about that. But yeah, I guess that's. And then Rugby World Cup, which we're obviously mentioning a little bit. Uh, England had a sort of unconvincing yet convincing win against Japan, a little bit of luck involved in that. The big story being Australia losing to Fiji, uh, which was both a surprise and not a surprise. Uh, a first time Fiji had beaten Australia, I believe. But still, Australia are not exactly in tremendous form, and they weren't exactly super heavy favorites. But it's one of the bigger upsets in the group stages that you're going to see, and it means that Australia have play Wales this weekend, and that's basically a knockout match. Because if they lose that, it's hard to see how they could get through unless Fiji slip up, uh, which doesn't look likely. So, yeah, thing Australia could be the surprise exit from the group stages of the World Cup. But apart from that, everything is pretty much... And then this weekend serves up really the... Fir- Since the New Zealand-France match, this uh, serves up the real test of Ireland-South Africa, which will be a really good game. Yeah, I've actually seen it televised here in the States. So just trying to embrace it here in the States. I don't know if it's really catching on, but uh, I have seen well, they, a lot of it. Well, they better embrace it because they're hosting the World Cup in eight years. Yeah, if no one's embraced it in the next eight years, it's going to be... I mean, it won't really be an issue, right? Because this is always the thing with World Cups. Enough people will just people travel. travel to fill... Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's always one of those things that it's overstated of like how much the host country has to be invested in the major tournament. It's like, no, it's it's like the Olympics. Even if pe- local people don't really get into it, enough people are going to go that there's going to be a decent atmosphere. And I'm sure the organizing committee had the mindset of not only can you come watch rugby, but then you get a vacation out of it to America because who wouldn't want a vacation in America? <laughs> <laughs> And enjoy some of our shit chocolate and high fructose corn syrup diet. <laughs> and have someone peep through your stall through that one inch gap. <laughs> yeah, with no bidet to wash your wash yourself with afterwards. Uh, well, speaking, Eddie, of you traveling uh, soon, I uh, just had my truck flights here to New Jersey, and I have one 
plain story and then uh, one movie recommendation. So the I am getting so sick of traveling and having to listen to annoying people in airports. The guy that annoys me the most at this point is one. It's so annoying that everyone has to like crowd the gate 10 minutes before, but I've traveled so much recently that now it just doesn't bother me. And I've just accepted that people are just savage idiots and I've let it go. But what I now can't let go is the idiot guy who has to also be standing there, but kind of show that like he's more civilized and standing there and will like let people go and, and will have the comment, Hey, we're all just going to the same place, right? The plane's not going to leave without us. But he's still the jackass that's standing at the gate ten minutes early. Like that, that I want to punch that person in the face. If I have to hear someone say we're all going to the same place again, I'm going to lose my mind. The thing that annoyed me though is so we get on the plane, um, and all I ever travel with is a backpack because I always check a bag. Granted, I don't pay for it because I'm like a priority member, but I always check my bag. So whether I pay for it or not, I'm checking a bag. So I had my backpack and it's a small backpack and I go to put it up and the flight attendant goes to me, oh, can you not put that up and just put that under your seat for now? Because we've got a full flight and a lot of suitcases that I need to fill the spots. And part of me, if I were just a true American asshole, I really wanted to turn around and be like, I don't give a fuck if these cheap people are too like cheap to pay to check their bag that they have to bring on this massive suitcase. Like I have my carry on, which is this backpack. And I have just as much right to put it on this overhead as this idiot. That's trying to save $25 and bring this enormous suitcase in. Like it, it was such like a ridiculous comment, but I didn't say anything. And then eventually like they closed all the things. And then I grabbed, I, I just opened it back up when the flight started and found like a spot to like kind of shove it into but like that is the biggest BS I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. I mean, I feel for you there in the sense that there's no way you could have said anything and had you not turn into the asshole. Yeah. Even if, because thinking about it, the only thing you could have maybe said was how, Oh, could I just, I really don't want this to be under my seat. Could I put it up there? And then if you need to take it out, I'll put it under my seat. But even then, you're probably getting a look from the flight attendant. And if anyone's around you, they're probably thinking, oh, this guy won't put his backpack yeah. under his seat. Yeah, Is that no, really impacting that. his? So there's no way to do it without sounding like a dick, and which it's, is a shame. And it's not as if – because like what really annoys me is not only the people who like refuse to check the bag because they're cheap, but then they also bring another massive carry-on that they're like, no, no, this is my backpack. And it's like that's not a backpack. It's a fucking like weekend duffel bag. Like stop it. And then – and it's not like I had already something up there and then wanted to put another thing up there. Like this is the only thing I bring onto the plane. Like – I should have the right of the suitcase person just as much. Like it was really annoying. Like it, like I don't know why it even had to be said because you could have stuffed my backpack anywhere, but it just really pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. But the nice thing was though that the guy next to me ordered a gin and tonic, and their tonic is now Fever Tree on Delta Airlines. So they've upgraded oh, their tonic. It's a nice tonic. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's. I this weekend was out and had at one place ordered where the first time they gave me a fever tree and the second time it was just Schweppes. Oh, and I was like, this is Schweppes. a very noticeable difference. Yeah. Uh, speaking of gin, I brought the 
rhubarb and ginger uh, pink bottle gin home. So we'll we'll see what the with the states how the United States reviews this gin that's so highly reviewed in in one apartment in Paris, France. <laughs> Just make make sure you pair it with Fever Tree. We will. Don't 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 spoil it. Movie recommendation. Might be a hot take, but I thought it was really good. Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. It's a movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah, Have you seen I've it? Seen some, I've seen YouTube clips of it. It's been one. It's pretty. It's a pretty intense movie. Like I was on kind of the edge of my uh, my little flight seat there for most of the most of the the, the movie. I won't make the short king joke about you being on the edge of your seat. <laughs> I still wasn't touching. <laughs> but uh but I, I that feels i think that feels like a really good plane movie i don't know if yeah. i would like as a plane because action movies and stuff they're always the better move on on a plane like the the type of thing where you're like i probably wouldn't sit through this at home but this yeah you know. a movie i didn't really hear anything about i looked on rotten tomatoes it actually had decent reviews but it had yeah, it uh, you know a good war action scene and then a good kind of like suspenseful action scene in the middle and then a good finish like it was it was a good movie and it had some good themes i think to it that haven't been really discussed you know like with like all the promises oh i guess they have been discussed but you don't see it on tv as much like all the promises that americans made to foreign countries that helped participate in the war and things like that so it was good and jake gyllenhaal is one of those actors who i don't necessarily love but he's not terrible he's not in stinkers he tends like all of his movies tend to at least be decent. I you know who if... I love of his source code. I don't know why I like that. I just love sci-fi movies. I think, but that's like a, a, a surprisingly good movie. Well, speaking of TV movie viewing, this is I'm very late to the party. It's we've discussed it previously. The bear. Jury duty, which uh, <laughs> I already gave up on the bear. It's terrible. Jury, jury duty, which yep. I said was not was not available in France, it now is. So I've now watched several episodes of it. It's it's like very watchable. I don't, it is like it's it's. I just do not believe for a second that he did not know that he was like not on a reality TV show that was not that was more than just let's film the jury duty experience. Like yeah. Just all I think the he was weird st stuff that happens when he's like, yes. like it's so crazy that this is happening. It doesn't seem real. <laughs> yes, it feels like I'm on a reality TV show. <laughs> like there's, everyone is very over the top. Every single person, for the most part, like there's a couple normalish people, but for like everyone's a weirdo. Yeah, some of them, whilst I commend their sort of improvisation skills. They still feel like people improvising and it's hard to separate. Like you're obviously aware of this. So in the moment, would you, but some of their facial reactions just seem sort of too <laughs> extreme. Seems like more like you've turned up to a improv group and someone shouted out, you know, a person placing a thing and they're reacting to it. But I don't believe for a second he didn't know by about sort of day three, four or whatever. And I also he was just smart enough to think I should play along with this. Like, I don't know exactly what this, I don't think he knew necessarily that he was the star of the show that bit. I'll give it, but he definitely knew this isn't what I was told it was going to be. And I think I should just like play along, be a good guy. Yeah. And I'll come out of this looking all right. 
See, I think he kind of went the other way with it too, because supposedly after it aired, he was having like real mental troubles and issues with the fact that like he had been duped for like whatever it was like a month or two months or whatever, you know, that like, he like couldn't really process what had happened to him. So I, either that's part of the act or he genuinely didn't know. And that maybe the fact that he didn't know made him realize like, am I, am I an idiot? (laughs) And now he has this big existential crisis on his hands now. So I do think the fact that he, as I said, I think he knew something was up and he might not have realized that he was like Truman in the Truman show. Yeah, That's the bit that might've been like, see, I know that I'm Truman in the Truman show. I know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's the bit. And then the one thing that I did think of is he's kind of bonding with James Marsden. Right. And there's got to be in part of you in your mind being like, oh, wow, I'm going to be like friends with a famous person. Like this is semi-famous. Person. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know, like this is, but this is kind of cool. You know, you've been like, whoa, yeah, this is nice. Like, it seems like we're legitimately kind of friends. And then, like, oh no, I'm acting now. Maybe they have they are buddies. They are, or, they kind or James Harson kind of. James Harson kind of has to do that, right? Otherwise, he looks like an asshole. Yeah, you know, like hung, he, apparently they've hung out like a bunch of times since then. Yeah, but you have to. To me, if you're James Marsden, that's the like. You got to hang in there for six to 12 months just so that. And then slowly stop responding to texts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sorry, I've got a big project coming up. I'm going to be out of town for about four months. So I, let's, let's speak when I'm back. I think he was really good at it, actually. Like, I thought James Marsden was really, like, funny, but wasn't, like, too over the top, but still had, like, a lot of good moments. I thought he was really good at it. I loved, the, I think you've seen it already. Like, in, I think it was the first episode when the guy comes back and he's like hey man I, I i rented sonic and he's like yeah he's like loved it <laughs> like, no way that's you wanting to be friends with a celebrity because no yes. sonic it's like yeah. fucking killer <laughs> yeah you're so good at it like, it was really funny <laughs> like now that's definitely that's the thing you say and he i give james martin credit too because he kind of looks like an asshole for much of it and being willing to look i mean ultimately you're only looking like an asshole in front of one person yeah because he's the only person who know who doesn't know it would have been more interesting to me almost if there had been more people who hadn't been aware of it like if there had been like four or five normal people mm. and in a group and so you'd had a little bit more of a dynamic i get that would have been more difficult to control and you know all sorts of different issues that might have arisen from it but that would have been kind of cool to be like, all right, there's five of these 12 people, five of them are normal people. Yeah. And let's see how they all handle this. And what's really interesting is they didn't have a backup plan for, I guess in the other sense, having, you know, they had the one celebrity in James Morrison, but they didn't have the backup plan for if he knew that guy from Parks and Rec, because I instantly recognized that guy from Parks and Rec. And then what they did was they actually had, he was supposed to be in it a lot more. And then they yeah. kind of like pushed him to the side and like he didn't room with them or like stay in the same hotel and blah, blah, blah. Cause they were scared that he, cause he had mentioned Parks and Rec in like the first 10 minutes. And at that point, if you mention Parks and Rec and you can't recognize that guy, then you're an idiot. <laughs> to me, three or four of them were recognizable actors, like people you've seen in things, like f- from things I have seen. And that to me would be the other issue is. 
even if you're like, that guy looks kind of familiar and that guy looks kind of familiar and that girl looks kind of familiar and this all feels a little bit weird. That's when I would start to think, okay, they, they, something is up here. Yeah, and you're right, though. Like, some of it was, like, too over the top that you kind of have to be... Like, the the one where he's playing the random game with the Asian guy, and, like, one of the game makes absolutely no sense. And it's like, no, like, games still make sense even if they're not from the United States. You know, like, they have yes. some some way of doing things. There's not just, like, these random rules. And then that he was, like, going to pay him $10,000 or whatever it was, and he was, like, so yeah. insistent, like... Come on, you can't tell that guy's like acting. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, but and also just weird things. It's also where they didn't do a good enough job of convincing me that part of it was the show, because obviously they knew they were on a reality TV show. But like the little things, like going to Margaritaville, or then like even going to the factory as part of their jury duty. It's like it's not what jurors don't like go to the scene of the crime (laughs) and maybe in the moment they explain to them like hey this doesn't normally happen but because we're filming the tv show we need footage like this but i wish we'd seen that to a certain degree so that you at least got a sense of okay this is they know that this isn't just how a jury normally works that like they don't book you to go to margaritaville because you've been sequestered and they don't you know like allow you to go and sort of explore the crime scene because yeah. so that you can do, go ahead ex- look around look for evidence look kind of stuff like that's not so one juror goes well i found them i found the smoking gun in the quarter i guess the police didn't now what do i do yeah <laughs> i thought uh, juries don't investigate the crimes no no i think but yeah but, but still it's enjoyable to watch like it is it is it is a decent tv show and i guess the other problem for them is that you know it's a one and done yeah. like you just can't do it again because now I bet you there's a lot of people who are now getting called up for jury duty who are like, I bet you I'm on a TV like show. Looking around and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And probably every once in a while we're going to be on a jury with like a celebrity and they're going to be like, I, I, I know this is a TV. It's going to be like Brad Pitt being like, no, legitimately, I just call, called up for jury duty. I do not want to be your friend. We're not going to run scenes together. Like this is. Hey, I rented once a time, once upon a time in Hollywood. You crushed it, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. That's all I got in a Academy Award for it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, with that, I think we'll call it a day. Yeah, sounds good. Talk to you later. See ya. Cheerio.